Job 27. <coughs> the defense rests, and it's more than one chapter, so we'll give it a different chap- a title next week, but the defense rests is our title for the next four chapters, if you would. Basic, sum up, basic summary, we had the first one and two, we find out why this is all going on. Job does not know it. Charting in three, we have the dialogue between the three friends. Three of them speak, two of them speak three times. One of them speaks twice. And end of 26, the response to those is done. So 27, that dialogue is over. Job's going to go on 28, 27, 8, 9, 30, and 31. Elihu is going to do 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37. And then starting in 38, looking forward to God comes on the scene. And so uh, he's been on the scene already, but God speaks. And so I, I'm thinking, except for a little bit in uh, 42, this is about Job's last hurrah, these five chapters here. And so uh, the defense rest, if you would, I've uh, been using Dr. Leighton Talbert's book on Job, uh, Chuck Swindoll's Insights for Living book on Job, and The Gospel According to Job by Mike Mason, and other various sundry things. Most of all, the Bible, been using that most of anything. Says in Job 27, moreover, Job continued his parable and said, As God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul, all the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. My lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my teeth utter deceit. God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that rises up against me as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he hath gained when God taketh away his soul? Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? I will teach you by the hand of God that which is with the Almighty will I not conceal. Behold, all ye yourselves have seen it. Why then are ye thus altogether vain? There is This is the petition of a wicked man with God and the heritage of oppressors which shall receive of the Almighty. For if his children, or if his children be multiplied, it is for the sword. And his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those that remain with him shall be buried in death. And his widows shall not weep. Though he heap up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the day he may prepare it but the just shall put it on and the innocent shall divide the silver he buildeth his house as a moth and as a booth that keep the keeper maketh <clears throat> 19 the rich man shall lie down but he shall not be gathered he opened his eyes and he is not terrors take hold on him as waters a tempest stealeth him away in the night the east wind carried him away and he departeth and as a storm hurleth him out of this place For God shall cast upon him and not spare. He would fain flee out of his hand. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. May the Lord have his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we beg your insight. We beg your wisdom. Help the Holy Spirit, please teach us. May I say nothing amiss. May uh, your Holy Spirit help us to understand this poetic account from Job as he gives his final defense, these next five chapters. Help us, Lord, to learn. Uh, help us to be challenged regarding suffering even this evening. And, Lord, help us to see that you are uh, always there for us. May we turn our eyes upon you as we go through these difficult times. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's a pastor who is known to say he two kinds of preaching really stirred him up. Good preaching and sorry preaching. Good preaching inspired him to affirm what was well presented. And sorry preaching provoked him to rescue the mangled truth. As we regard these three 
friends, they have been sort of eloquent, but they have been really misapplied what they have learned. Uh, there was uh, where I'm teaching now on uh, Tuesdays at 10 at the Boyd County Center. Center there's a lady, I won't give her name, but she's very biblically, uh, liter- very biblically astute. And I was talking to the director. She said, I tell you what, I said, one time there's a man came into the Bible study and he said that Jesus wasn't God. I'll tell you that, lady, I thought her head was going to come off because she was so much defending who God is in the Bible. She was, and she said, but she stayed under control. Uh, So I was talking about this very lady. She said, and she does really is very Bible knowledgeable. These three friends have preached and, and conjoled all these things. I like it what Talbert, I, I just need what Dr. Talbert says. Three exhausted men have tried their hardest to force a bronco into the stall much too small. They have pled and pulled, coaxed, shoved, frightened, smacked, and called him names. And they've got the bruises to show for it. Job, however, bucks free and cuts loose on his longest discourse by far. End of quote. They're trying to get him in here, trying to fix him. I guess you've watched, I'm sure you've watched the the cow shows where they put the people in the the people. They put the cows and horses in there and they got to shove them in there and and then they'll open the door and off he goes. I feel sorry for those bulls that have to make the circuit and that's all they do and get all this punishment, whatever it is. But these men have tried to put Job, the bronco, into a stall far too small. So in 27.1, Job says, Moreover, Job continued his parable. Now he has just given his rebuttal in 26 to 25, Bildad's last little short speech. He gives his rebuttal in 26, and he, it's sort of like a pause. Does anyone want to say anything? Okay, well, I'm going to go on then. And so that's moreover, he continued his Parable. The narrator, really, something, a new language. The phrase, if you look in 29, verse 1, similar, moreover, maybe he stopped again. Job continued his parable and said, the word parable there is the Hebrew, M-A-S-H-A-L, Mashal, it's a versatile noun, it describes speech designed to cause someone to reflect and to come to a verdict about the subject under discussion. It can go from the pithy little the sayings of Solomon to the more extended passages as 1 Kings 4, for example, Proverbs 10. But it's clearly, but the purpose is this, a clearly recognizable purpose, that of quickening and apprehension of the real or as distinct from the wished for, of compelling the hearer or reader to form a judgment on himself, his situation, or his conduct. So the parable is, I'm going to try to enlighten you about the reality. And as you listen to this, three friends, look at yourselves, if you would. Now, Eliphaz's last attempt in 22, uh, to turn up the heat, I like what Talbert says again, and make something stick to the Teflon prophet, is short-circuited. Bildad's parting shot in 25, uh, a shot from the hip, aimed at Job's conscience, went wide of the mark. And so far, he did not even give a third speech. So after they are done, I don't know if there's, I reckon they're still there listening. Job really goes on for quite a while here. He's separating the fantasy from the reality, if you would. It seems that Job's waited, but now he's going to just sort of let go. Like Mike Mason says, it's not they lost the debate. Rather, what they have lost is its patience with Job. They've gotten up, they have given up on Job as a bad Job. From now on, the only argument will be the argument of silence, of throwing up their hands in disgust. What can you do with a man who is so pig-headed and incorrigible? End of quote. 
I like what Swindoll says, suffering helps us clarify our priorities and focus on the right objectives. The deeper the pain, the deeper the vision, the more we hurt, the better we determine what really matters. And during the process, we replace knowledge with wisdom. Job's friends have pointed fingers, lectured, insulted, and condemned. By the time they finally quieted down, he began to distill in Job's mind to the point where he began to see things clearly. And that is it. When our trials come, it's, I think God designs those for us to look up, to look to him, to, to get to, for our relationship to grow closer to him during the times. I really believe that's one of the, the, the principles it's like the little boat uh, that slipped off the little toy boat was going away from shore and the, the, the boy threw a rock beyond it. And it's the waves that cause the boat to go back to the master. And that's the same way the waves in our lives cause us to, to wake up, if you would, perhaps. <clears throat> Again, one writer said, I finally come to realize that one of the benefits of going through times of suffering <clears throat> is that my focus turns <clears throat> vertical. Spurgeon was, as you know, the great pulpiteer of the 1800s in, in London, late 1800s. And so he was, the press loved Charles Spurgeon because he was a huge target. He's a small man, but a huge target. So they, they would write all kinds of things about him, and he would handle most things well. But one time he got very discouraged. I think all of us have a breaking point, it seems, at some point. But his wife noticed the depression was lingering, so she became concerned, and so she looked in the Bible and found Matthew 5, 11, which says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets that were before you. So she got out a big piece of paper, and in her own handwriting, she put that on a big piece of paper, and she pinned it on the ceiling above the bed. So the next morning, when Mr. Spurgeon rolled over to get out of bed, he looked up and saw that verse there, and then he read it again out loud to himself. And from that point on, he went back to the ministry full bore. But he said, I like to quote, when flat on our backs, the only way to look up is up. The only way to look is up. When flat on our backs, the only way we really can look is up. And God is there. He's there for us if we will look. He preached a sermon on this verse 2, where it says there in verse 2, 27, 2, as God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty, who hath vexed my soul. And he quoted this from the sermon. Child of God, you are, are you vexed and embittered in soul? Then bravely accept the trials coming from your father and say, The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Press on through the cloud which now lowers directly in your pathway. It may be with you as, you as it was with the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. They feared as they entered the cloud, yet in the cloud they saw the Master's glory and they found it good to be there. Two stories told of a, a little boy who was in a burning house and it caught fire and the boy's inside and he forced to go up on the roof and the boy's father was outside stretched out his arms and said jump my son i'll grab you and the father knew the son would have to jump to save his life all the boy though could see was the flames and the fire and the thick black smoke and the darkness of night as you can imagine the boy was afraid to jump from the roof and the father continued to shout jump i will catch you the son replied dad i can't see you and the dad responded you don't see me but I can see you, and that's what matters. If there's a lot of story. Uh, it says that if, there draws a, if there was a story that describes a Christian life, that is it. 
Faith enables us to face life not because we can see, but with the certainty that we are seen. Not because we know the answers, but because we are known. Faith does not work in the sphere of what is possible. There's no glory to God in what is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. And at a very difficult time, China Inland Missionary Hudson Taylor wrote to his wife, We have 25 cents and all the promises of God. 25 cents and all the promises of God. So we write to your outline. If you're taking an outline, you're still not going to sleep yet. We're, we have the defense rest. Number one is three priorities. First priority is thinking God's thoughts is our highest goal. Priority one, thinking God's thoughts is our highest goal. The first, first about verse two again, as God liveth who hath taken away my judgment and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul. That really is, according to Smick, uh, employs the most extreme measure in society for a condemned person to plead innocence based on as God liveth. My grandmother used to say something similar to that. I forget. Oh, God is my witness. She would say that. God is my witness. This is is true. I don't know when, but I can't remember specific instance, but I heard her say that many times. Uh, I guess I was doubting her by I, I, my incredulous look or something. I don't know what it's about. But the, anyway, she, she so would say that. And that's what he, he's invoking really the God as his witness, if you would. As God liveth, solemnly he does deny the charges laid against him. He's that they've been trying to push the bronco into the stall far too small. And Job just says, no, I, I'm tired of it. And so he's wrestled free from his control handlers and he's off running. And he's running through these five chapters to refute and give his defense. His priorities at that point in life begin with the relationship with God himself. Thinking God's thoughts is our highest good. This is one of the reasons why we should work on our scripture memorization. I'm working on mine, still not up to the speed as much as I want to do, but I have started that again. And so I trust that you're memorizing scripture. It's what to hide God's word in your heart that we might not, what? Sin against God. And so there it is. Uh, when someone asks you a question right off the bat or there's a temptation comes, you need to have that ready right then. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You've got to pull those, be ready to go with those. Where's my Bible? Let me get my phone out. Uh, Well, I'm not connected to the internet. I can't get to my phone. No. I'm telling you. And I will have to say this. I have an app on my phone. You cannot replace this. You need a hands-on copy of God's word. It's in your hands. You are reading it. You are seeing it. Really, I'm not trying to boo-hoo apps. I'm just saying, this is more beneficial for you than on your phone. By the way, if you ever run out of battery, what are you going to do then? If you have this, you can always go to that, the go-to. I like this. One of the most important questions you must ask yourself, what comes into your mind when you think about God? What comes into your mind when you think about God? That's probably the most important question about us. Well, he's my Savior. He's the Lord. He is, he's on the throne. The world revolves around him. He's my Savior. What comes into your mind? A lot of people never even think about that from one year to the next. Do you see him as, as the one who will call everyone to judgment someday? Do you see him as the one who watches over your children and grandchildren and business? Do you acknowledge his power is greater than any power you could ever witness on earth? Or is it honestly like, we you know, God's a little bit remote now. We, we, we're, just, we're just so techy right now. I don't think God can keep up with our technology. And so 
I trust no one would even start down that road. The God that made the mind, by the way, the mind is still ex- exponentially more complicated than these will ever, ever, ever be. And so it, it's amazing. Now, this little phone right here can do the supercomputers when they first came out. This is like, I don't know how many times. It's like really a whole lot more, a lot smarter than the smartest computers when they first came out. Your little phone is even a, a progress so far. But our God is always greater. He will always be greater. He, he's the one that gave us the ingenuity, the materi- created the materials even to make that. That's, that's, our, that's who our God is. Your God. Your view of God makes all the difference in how you view your life. Think of Job's situation. He's bankrupt. He is childless. His, friend, his wife has sort of turned her back. Maybe possibly he's told her to, to curse God and die. He's friendless now since the three friends are sort of on the outs. And he's diseased, covered with boils. He's, he's oozing junk all the time, constant pain. He's living with a high fever. On top of that, he's misunderstood, blamed for secret sins that they're not real. He's now rejected by those who once supported him. How in the world does he go on? Is one answer. He looks up. The view of God keeps him going. I don't know why it's happening, but I'm still, though he slain me, will I trust him. And when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And you can do it right now. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It's not at the end. He's talking about right now. Try me right now. And I'll come forth as gold. I'm hoping. I think I have a... Maybe I might have a little bit of a yellow color. Maybe it's for chicken. I don't know if he tries me right now. If he, if he, if he finds all the things I've done. Mm. You know, maybe someday gold, hope. But I don't know how much longer I have. You ever think about this? Oh, pastor, we don't. But your ministry in this life. If you're like me, my better years have come and gone. Or my, my better, but my numerically numbered year. My, I've lived a lot more life than I got left. I don't know how much I have left. But don't let that keep you from serving the Lord. Keep on telling, keep on reading, praying for one another, praying for others, and keep on to the end. Let's not give up now. And you do not have to be, I don't know, pick out whoever big spiritual giant. You don't have to be Charles Spurgeon. He's not asked you to be Charles Spurgeon, but he has asked you to be who you are and to serve where he has placed you. Moreover, is required in stewards that a man be found faithful to what he's given to you. You don't have to do... We all can't be genius, uh, theological genius like Spurgeon. We can't do that. And if we all were those things, who would teach the people like me? We're all... We've got to have people like me to teach. And so that's why we're all not genius. But, you know, because we have somebody... To, if we all could play, if we all could, I don't know. If we, everybody sang in the choir, we'd have no one to sing to. I mean, if you want to try that, it's fine with me. That would not bother me at all. We can sing to one another. You bloom where you're planted, Mrs. Keene's term. Bloom where you are planted with what you have been given. By the way, there are irises out there if you want to take them home tonight. But bloom where you're planted. Priority one, thinking God's thoughts is our highest goal. Priority two, Walking in integrity is the only way to live, starting in five. Now, Job follows his oath of innocence with an imperative upon his enemies, starting about verse five, six, and seven. That would include Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, seven through ten. If this sounds a bit spiteful, remember the severity of the crimes. 
27, 7. Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that rises against me as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained when God taketh away his soul. Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? Sounds spiteful. Remember again the crimes they have labored to pin on him, that he has done wrong, that he's been unkind to people, that he's a sinner. You've got secret sin somewhere, Job. Just confess. Confess, Job, and then he will forgive, and we can all, and we won't have to worry that we might get something put on us because, you know, we're doing it. So just confess that you did wrong. Just let it out there. Smith says that he adds the penalty in Israel for libel, which was the punishment attached to the crime wrongly charged. In Israel, as you well know, I believe in Bible times, at sometimes at some ventures in their, in their culture, it was if you accuse somebody of something and they were found innocent, then you got the punishment you were accusing somebody of. It wasn't like you got all scot-free. Can you imagine how that would change culture today? 25, 27.5 For God forbid that I should justify you Till I die, I will not remove integrity from me. He's not going to fake it. He's not going to, he refuses to gloss over his life. He's going to tell the truth. He will speak only the truth. How refreshing, how reassuring it is, how memorable to be around those rare people who are always telling the truth and will not give up their integrity. Through his afflictions, he gained the upper hand over his speech. Never again would he be dominated by the strongest muscle in the body. By the way, a doc, one pastor asked the doctor, can we say the tongue is the, the strongest member of the body? And the doctor said, not no more monkeys jumping on the bed. The doctor said, anatomically, that is true. The muscle makeup of the tongue would qualify it as certainly one of the strongest muscles, if not the strongest in the human body. The point is undeniable. You've got a powerful muscle in your mouth and you need to use it for good and not evil or ill or criticism or condemnation. We are to use our lips and tongue for positive things. My lips will be the lips of integrity, he says. I refuse to use them as vehicles of deceit. God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove integrity from me because I believe you were wrong, he says. For to call me right is not the correct use of my tongue. For to me call wrong right is just not the correct use of my tongue. Six. My righteousness I will I hold fast, and I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. What a remarkable way to live. To put righteousness first, I'm going to guard my tongue. Integrity's not going to leave me. I'm going to be a righteous man. Property may leave a man. Friends may forsake him. Children may die. Disease may attack him. Slander may assail him, says Albert Barnes. And death may approach him. But still he may have in his bosom one unfailing source of consolation. He may have the consciousness that his aim has been right and pure. That nothing can shake of that. No storms or tempests. No malignant foe. No losses. No disappointments. No ridicule can deprive him. And that is of his integrity. When you lose your integrity, you've pretty much lost it all my thinking as a Christian especially as a pastor when you lose that that you've got to do what God has called you to do when you start uh, waffling on that you might as well just find something else to do because that's so vital to the role of any spiritual leader the third priority will be wrong will occur but it will not ultimately triumph 
wrong will occur, but it will not ultimately triumph. We find here that Job's oppressors, we call them tyrants in 11, I will teach you by the hand of God that which is with the Almighty will not conceal. Behold, all ye yourselves have seen it twelve. Why then are ye thus altogether vain? He proposes to teach his friends the truth about God, realities they have failed to see. Remember, the, the three friends have this ideology that if it's bad, it's wicked, then it's, if it's something, something happens to someone, it's bad, they have sinned. God is judging sin in their lives. Very common, even in the New Testament, when the blind man who has sinned, he or his parents, they are born blind. But can't be, how could he sin in the womb? That's a good question. Maybe it doesn't say, who, who has sinned? Somebody sinned because he's born blind. That's the automatic assumption. Would Job call their position altogether vain or rendered also foolish, rendered nonsense also meaningless? Then paying his prediction of the hand of God in exactly the same language as his friends. Listen, behold, all yourselves, ye have seen it. Why then are ye altogether vain? Will wrong occur? Wrong will occur, but it will not be ultimately triumph. Aren't, aren't you glad about that? Wrong is going to happen. There's, and I tell my wife, there's so much hurt in the world. You see an animal killed in the road. You see a lot of animals suffering problems. You see uh, like the domain, uh, uh, humane societies, etc. At the name count, all the human suffering, all the human suffering across the land, child trafficking, child death, abortion, all these different things that are they're suffering. People who are being uh, abusive and all the people coming across our borders and the children who are being abused every day. It's just... The people in Russia, who, the soldiers in Russia who abused, I believe, most likely the people of Ukraine as they took over. All these things, there's so much. God will one day make it right. Wrong will occur, but it will not ultimately triumph. We need to be, we just really need to hold on to that. God is still yet in control. What Job denies, though, is, is that God always judges the wicked swiftly. He's not denied the lot of the theology of the three friends. He's not denied at all. But what he does deny is that God will sometimes let things happen in people's lives, even though they're innocent, as with him. 13, would there please, 13 to 17. It says in our text, 27, 13, it says for us here, this is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage of oppressors, which they shall receive of the Almighty. If the children have been multiplied, it is for the sword, and his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those who remain of him shall be buried in death, and his widows shall not weep. Though he heap up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the clay, he may prepare it, but the just shall put it on, and the innocent shall divide the silver." What, what, what I'm saying there, we find in, what clothes, I love the, that verse, that closing comment, verse 17. The wicked may have more clothes in his closet, but it will be those who are left will get to wear them. Remember the mirror, to, you'll see this sometimes on, on a license plate, right? License, it says, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the most toys gives them to his children or his grandchildren to take over and to uh, wear out. Or it's going to be for the righteous who inherit, the meek shall inherit the earth. All these things people are trying to gather together is going to be left for those who have followed God. Wrong will occur, but it will not ultimately triumph. Proverbs 
Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I tell you, there's been a lot more eagles the last few little bit. You go to the gas station, you have to take out a loan to, go, to get to, uh, your, fill up your car. It seems like sometimes now. I complain to my wife, not every single time I go to the grocery store, but most, I, I remember this. This used to be this, and this used to be. You could get cottage cheese for $1.99 sometimes, and you could get this, and you could, this was like, a, everything's like a dollar more now. A dollar more for everything. Hmm. Riches, they fly away as the eagle toward heaven. There's a person down in Florida who won the $1.6 billion lottery this week. Wow, I just read this week also. Interesting, I wanted to see, do you know, I'm sure you probably don't know that because you have looked that up, from the National Endowment for Financial Education, 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt within a few years. 70% go bankrupt within a few years. So for those who can handle poor being poor, a very, very few can handle being rich. And so because, oh, I've got all this money, well, I'm going to over, it's so easy to do now, I mean, to over estimate what you're going to have. And that's based upon the fact that your health may hold up or, or your job may stay. Or you may not get fired tomorrow, whatever, all these different things. And so we sometimes base uh, our thinking on things that are just not quite sure. But when you come to God's word, I'm basing my thinking on I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with him forever. I'm going to serve him. That's because his word is true. Do not base your things, your hope on the things of the world. If it, it's so easy to become confused if you watch too much of the evening news on, on television. It's very disconcerting to watch it and what you read. Be careful. If the source is not reliable, the information will be skewed. And thankfully, there are some still today that will give us accurate information about things. And I would say certainly the Bible is your one source of accurate information. I told Mrs. Kazee just yesterday when we were visiting, I said, Mrs. Kazee, I said, the one thing that will always work, God will never fail you. The words from Scripture, they are always, always, always encouraging. That's it. It's God's Word. It never fails. It's alive. It's living. Christ and the Word, I think, are inseparable. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Word. The Word is Christ. Christ is the Word. They're inseparable. The words remind us of evil. The evil is evil, that wrong actions will be judged, and that even though the wicked may seem to be winning, they will ultimately lose those quite, quite clearly. Verse 22, skip on to 22, 40, 27 of Job 22. For God shall cast upon him and not spare. He would fain flee out of his hand. God will cast upon him. We find that God is going to hold each of us accountable, and he's going to win. We understand that. The uh, essay poet named Russell Lowell, I like this little, little part of his poem. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the din unknown, standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. That is it. He is watching us. He has, he has the... He has his hand on the thermostat, if you would, of our lives. He knows how much. Oh, it's getting a little bit hot there. I better turn that back up there. But you know what? He's a lot closer to me than he was when he was over here on the cold side. So as I have you know, put a little things, brought some things into his life for him to exercise his faith. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. 
We need to stay on the scaffold. We need to keep thinking straight. We need to refuse to tolerate wrong. Job kept informing his priorities based from God's Word. That's why we have done the climate change. And next Sunday morning we will, uh, what now? So uh, more generating more light than heat. What now? Since we have, all, what do we do now with the climate change? How would you respond? That'll be next Sunday morning, Lord willing. But we have to base our things right here. What has God said? Suffering enabled Job to grasp the deep truths at this point, Job's tone now shifts noticeably from the remainder of his defense. He makes no further a reference to address his friends in 28 to 31. It is pure much soliloquy and prayer. His friends may exchange glances or comments, but they do not speak going forward. And we want to say a big amen to that. And 23, men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. Interesting, that was an ancient method to clap your hand. Now, we have taken clap, hand clapping and made it into something positive. In the Bible times, it was something very negative, if you would. Only time in, in Bible times, it was a negative stance. Uh, Henry Morris says that, uh, that the, the first of nine references to hand clapping with four different Hebrew words being so translated. However, all of these refer to smiting or striking either in derision or in exultation over the defeat and humiliation of the enemy, and are commonly so translated that modern practices of clapping to show approval of a performance or in rhythmic accompaniment to music and dancing has no biblical warrant. He's not saying they're absolutely all wrong, but they have no biblical warrant in here. It's, it's the hissing. And you may have, like, snot, we call our cat Hissy Missy, because she hisses a lot, and I think it's hissing. Can I just say, is hissing from a cat a good thing, typically? No. It's like, shh, shh, shh. So when someone would do something that was inappropriate, they would, shh, people would do that back to, to show their disapproval or clap them down. Hush, quiet. Today it's like, yeah, Just the opposite of what we would see in Bible times. Suffering. And don't give up. And I like this, as I'll close with this. Moody tells a story of a man who was crossing the Atlantic Ocean. He was terribly sick and confined to his cabin. One night he heard the cry, man overboard. He felt that there was nothing he could do to help. But on second thought, he said to himself, I guess I can at least put my lantern in the porthole. He struggled to his feet and hung his light so it shined out into the darkness. The next day he learned that the person who was rescued said, I was going down in the dark night for the last time when someone put a light in a porthole. As it shone on my hand, a sailor in a lifeboat grabbed it and pulled me to safety. So you don't have to have a thousand watt big lamp. Perhaps just a little, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine until Jesus comes. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. And we do that by turning our eyes upon Him. The only way to look when you're on your back is up. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us. And Lord, I know I'll readily admit before I even go further that there are many in our church who have suffered far beyond physically, emotionally, far beyond than I have ever done. So Lord, help them. Help each of us. Praying for one another, encouraging one another. May you still the avenger. May you quiet those oppressive forces. May we be this battle, spiritual battle we're waging. May we find ourselves in your word. 
I pray, Lord, that you would tear down the mental strongholds by the word of God. It's a, it's a war for truth, biblical truth in our country. Lord, help us to be putting on the armor of God that we'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so, Lord, when discouraging time come and, and you've allowed us to go through something or you're going to send us something this week that we don't necessarily want, but help us to see that you have allowed it to come and to learn. And Lord, help us to pray for one another during these difficult times. And may we turn our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 326.